Welcome to the Messiah Podcast. We are so glad you tuned in today. Whether you are driving, doing chores, or taking a walk, we hope the Lord quiets your head and your heart to hear truth and be challenged through His Word. Without further ado, let's dive into the message. Good morning. Welcome again to Messiah. If you're just tuning in or if you're just walking in, I'm glad that you're here. And uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Matt Lidicanen. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you have, if this is your first time or you're just kind of newer here, there is a blue card in your pew back that you could fill out. Um, that's just a way to get to help us get to know you and help you get to know us a little bit better. So if you have any point during the course of the sermon or during the course when you start to kind of drift off, feel free to fill that out and then drop it off in the offering boxes in the back. Um, Turn to Acts chapter 5, verses 29 to 32. So that's kind of what, that's going to be the heart of the message today. And while you're turning, you know, one of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament is from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. You probably know this. Many of you probably do. And, and in the writer of Hebrews, he says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's a great line. It's a great line in the New Testament. Faith is confidence that what you believe to be true is true. That is to say, it's not like a fair weather faith. This is not going to go away when times get tough, you believe what is true, who God is, what reality is. You believe that is what it is, okay? You're leaning into it. It endures despite evidence to the contrary. We find this faith in the saints of the church throughout the history when they were martyred for their faith, when they suffered for their faith. We see this in Lions fans. The oldest team to never have appeared in a Super Bowl. And if you are a Lions fan, you didn't need me to tell you that, right? But the faith you demonstrate inspires all of us. Maybe next year. Next year's our year, right? Hold on to that hope. And it's that kind of faith that shows up with action. A Lions fan is baptized into annual suffering and frustration, But that doesn't stop him from going to games and cheering on the team from the sidelines, from the couch, having people over and just getting after it. Knowledge is passive. Faith is something you lean into. I can get two people in a room, set a chair up, and I say, this is a reliable chair. You can sit in that chair. Go ahead and take a seat anytime you want to. It's going to support your weight. And they can both say, yes, I understand that what Matt is telling me is that that is a sturdy chair. But the person who has faith in my words is the person that's going to go and sit in that chair. And this is the kind of faith the kind that creates confidence and courage and power and joy and action that we see in spades from the apostles in this chapter. And there's a lot of wild stuff that Luke tells us about, in, starting at verse 12, but where I have a start in is down at verses 27 to 32, because that's where the theme of today really picks up. And just a little bit of context, right? Uh, last week we looked at the story of Ananias and Sapphira, the, the inspiring word of the gospel that is creating all this kind of generous giving and a, a wonderful community 
in the early church, and then Ananias and Sapphira were this, they were a sharp contrast to everything that had happened up to that point. And uh, we know what happened to them. If you don't, you can read. Um, And then the apostles had prayed a little while ago, God, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Send us out to do signs and wonders, to perform miracles. And they're doing it. I mean, even it, it says that in the early part of this chapter that even people would bring their sick out onto the sidewalks so that when Peter was walking by, just maybe his shadow would fall upon them and bring healing. I mean, it was pretty remarkable what God was doing among his apostles and disciples at this time. But then this kind of created some jealousy from the religious establishment, and so they called them back in, and they put him in prison, and then they put him in court. And so we read this, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, that you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make, this, make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, the key word I want you to pick up on is obedience. And it's this word that I just could not shake as I was reading through this passage over and over again. It was just this obedience from these guys. This men, these men have witnessed the most incredible thing to have ever happened in human history, the resurrection of the Son of God from death, conquering sin, death, and evil once and for all. They have seen, they have walked with him, they have talked with the one who did these things. And as a result, they have an unshakable faith in Jesus. Their knowledge about who God was and who Jesus was was transformed into faith that they could put their trust in Jesus and just lean into him with every fiber of their being. And the last thing that Jesus said to them before he ascended into heaven, when he gathers them on the Mount of Ascension, and he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is Jesus' command to his followers that we probably know quite well. We are to go out and do exactly what he says here, to spread the gospel, to make disciples, advance the kingdom of God. It's all right here. And the basis for this commandment is what Jesus says. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have conquered sin, death, and Satan, and I have been given all authority. And I'm just telling you, go and proclaim this good news to everybody. But notice also what he says in the latter section of that. Because sometimes we can be a little reductionistic. When we look at this, we say, okay, Jesus is telling us to go and tell people. Which he's saying go and tell people, but he's te- what does he say? Teaching them to obey. 
everything I've commanded you. See, the gospel is not just this idea that we can learn and we kind of put it away. Great, now I know that. I can put that away. I learned igneous rocks and sedimentary rocks and metamorphic rocks back in, you know, grade school. That's things I know, but I've put it away because it doesn't matter. (laughs) But that's not the gospel. The gospel is something that matters. The gospel is something that is true. Those kinds of rocks, that's a true thing. But that doesn't matter for my life. Frederick Robertson, quote I came across this week, he said this, Truth is given not to be contemplated, but to be done. Life is an action, not a thought. Don't you like that? Life is an action, not a thought. And yet I feel like there are so many spaces in Christian circles where the, where the gospel becomes kind of watered down to the point where it's just this kind of get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, believe in Jesus and you'll go to heaven. Sounds great. Sign me up. When's the next flight? You know, like, I'd love to do that. But when we frame it like this and that's it, then we're saying that there's nothing required of you. There's no take up your cross and follow me. There's no come and die. There's no deny yourself. There is no, uh, it, it's just, it's cheap grace. It's belief without discipleship. It's cognitive assent without leaning into faith. Yeah, faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus brings eternal life, but that's not even the half of it. Faith is bigger than knowledge. Faith is acted on. It's not just contemplated in our head, but it's done with our hands. Jesus is not just Savior. He's also Lord. And I love those, the, that line in the Gospels where Jesus says there will be many who come to him on the last day, and they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons, do this and that? He says, I tell you the truth, I never knew you. Like, whoa, <laughs> that's some sobering stuff. Elsewhere, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I tell you? <sighs> that's some intense words from Christ. I mean, I've heard people say about the Sermon on the Mount, I've actually heard people say this. Well, <laughs> Theologians, I mean, really smart guys, and they look at the Sermon on the Mount, right, from the Gospel of Matthew, and they say, you know what, what the intention of the the Sermon on the Mount is, isn't to tell us how to live our lives, but it's to tell us how much in need of grace we are. So Jesus never really intended us to follow through on it. He's just, he just preached it so that we would know how, how much of a sinner we are. And I was like, I don't, I mean... I'm pretty sure he says the one who puts my words into practice is like the wise man who builds his house on a rock. You know, I mean, it sounds like he really wants us to try this stuff out. This isn't just to show us, hey, you're just a sinner, so depend on grace. You know, this is, this is obedience. This is some invitation to follow him, okay? 
That's a pretty extreme example, but I think that this happens in subtle ways all the time. I think we can think all the right thoughts, know all the right doctrines, and confess all the right things, but still not know and trust God. And I've, I've already quoted two harrowing words of Christ already today, so here's the third one. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Yet these are the scriptures that testify about me, and you refuse to come to me and have life. It's possible, Jesus says, it's possible to know your Bible inside and out and miss him completely. Should give us some serious pause. It's actually possible to know the right things, but miss Jesus, and I don't want that. Do you want that? I don't want that. The fact of the matter is, the gap between our knowledge and our belief can be pretty wide. Because I can know, this is where the rubber hits the road, okay? I can know that God is great and sovereign and, and creator of all. However, I can walk through my life full of anxiety and fear and concern, which means that I don't really believe that God's creator and powerful and sovereign. Functionally, I don't believe that. I can say that that God-shaped hole in my heart was satisfied and and filled with Christ and his good news has, has satisfied every longing in me, but I can still be caught up and just concerned about finding Mr. or Mrs. Right or finding the right person to f- satisfy certain needs in my life. Well, that means that I don't really believe that God is all-sufficient, do I? Or I can know in my head that I've been forgiven all my sins, past, present, and future, and I know that His grace has covered me, but that's not going to stop me from trying to earn it every single, step of the, every single step of the way. Try and make ourselves worthy of grace. We know things, but we believe differently. In the face of imminent punishment, and quite possibly death. The apostles not only stood their ground, but they called out their persecutors. I mean, they're just walking in boldness and confidence and faith like I don't see hardly anywhere. And Luke tells us that the possibility of death moved dangerously close to being reality for them, because after they said their peace, all the, the Sanhedrin were just like really angry and they wanted to kill them. And then Gamaliel, who's actually the mentor of Paul, he, he kind of calms them down a little bit and he concludes his, his speech to them in private like this in verse 38. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. And now get a load of this. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then he ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing 
because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That's nuts. And I think that I, I love that. I mean, you see what happens. I mean, they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. And despite being warned and flogged, 39 smacks on their back, they did not stop. They didn't even like think, like, maybe she, we should stop, you know? I mean, this might happen again. Like, they didn't even like, consider it. It wasn't even a thought in their heads. They just kept going to preach and proclaim. Like, are you kidding me? These, these guys have gotten flogged. Their backs are all torn up and bloody and bruised. And they're walking out of the Sanhedrin giving each other high fives like, yeah, can you believe it? We got, we got to suffer for Jesus. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like, that's just, that's wild. And I stand in awe of this because I'm trying to wrap my head around this. And I feel like in my time, I've taken some pretty big swan dives for God. And I, there's more to come, I know. But when it ends up feeling more like a belly flop than a dive, Lord knows I'm not giving out high fives and skipping on my way out. I'm disoriented and confused. I mean, and these guys are rejoicing. I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of thing where I'm praying with the disciples, Lord, increase my faith. But at the end of the day, friends, and this is, and this is the heart, okay? It wasn't their doctrinal stances that got them through. It wasn't what they knew. It wasn't their own strength. It wasn't their own courage that made them these kind of paragons of Christian witness. It wasn't their faith so much as the one they had faith in that carried them through the entire scene, flogging and all. The kind of faith the apostles had came from a deep internalization about the truth of who God is and the truth about who they were because of him. And like them, we need to gospel ourselves daily. We need to speak good news to ourselves on a regular basis just to get it inside, in our hearts, in our heads, in our spirits, because we believe in a big God. I mean, it's, and we're going to tell the story, okay? We're going to remind ourselves right now, who is God? I mean, the Nicene Creed says that we believe in God who made the heaven and the earth and all things visible and invisible. He made spiritual beings. He made physical beings. He made angels and all their glory and their power and their majesty. And he also made, you know, all the freaky things that live down in the deep ocean of, you know, depths of the ocean. I mean, he made all these creatures, He's made the atoms and the quarks and the electrons and, and quantum mechanics and theory. That's nothing that he doesn't understand. He, he wraps his head around that completely and perfectly. He, he, it's not just quantum theory. It's quantum reality for God. He set the course of the stars into motion. He created the, the solar systems that would go around those, the, the galaxies with their millions and their billions and their trillions of stars and, and celestial bodies. He has fine-tuned the size 
and the orbit of one particular planet in the celestial, the celestial universe to be the perfect home for the one thing in all of creation that would bear his image, the one thing in all of creation that would capture his heart, and that is you and that's me. And our big God has leveraged this almighty cosmic power to pursue a relationship with you, a relationship that he's always been keen to have. His project from the beginning of time was to rekindle and restore a relationship with you so that you could know and believe in him. And if you do not know today that God is God and that Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah and he's for you, that this is true for you. This is reality for you too, even before you were born. God knew you. It says in Psalm 139, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Lock into that phrase, friends. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And what are we? We are radar blips. In the scope of all, all that has ever happened. I mean, we are insignificant. And God, it says God, this God who's done all the things, he has thought of you individually, by name. He knows your story. He knows your parents. He knows your hurts. He knows your sorrows. He knows your joys. He knows your passions. He knew every day before it ever came to be. That's, that's God for you. And in order that we might become these holy and blameless people, predestined before the foundations of the earth. This God came down, took on flesh and bones, and lived and died in our place to break us free of the curse of sin and death so that we can work alongside him to continue to advance that message, to call people into obedience to call people into a new way of life, a new way of doing. What's my point? The point is, this is the good news that we need to bring from here to here. That we can take the knowledge and make it into faith. Make it into a faith that can lean into God. Lean into things. Just, just to, to be obedient. Because that's what obedience is. That's what it takes to sit on the chair, right? You have to sit on the chair. That's obedience. You have to go on mission. You have to go into your neighborhoods. You have to go into your homes. You have to go into your, your offices and just be good. Be what God has called you to be. Be the husband. Be the father. Be the wife. Be the mom. Be the kid. Be the student. Be the grandparent. Be the neighbor that God wants you to be.
and we can be those people because we know him and his love and his power and his goodness and his graciousness that it's all for us. And we can take those swan dives of faith confident in him. And my hope and prayer today that we can get a fresh wind of faith. That we can have faith in not just some ho-hum doctrine or some idea, but that we can have faith in the God of the universe who came down from heaven, gave himself for us and for the sake of the world, that we might have faith that won't just move mountains but, and perform miracles, but that we, like the apostles, take a beating and still laugh about it. I mean, I, I want that kind of just radical faith and trust and confidence and joy in God. And may our prayer today be like the prayer of the man in Mark's gospel who came to Jesus and he said these words, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we know and hear today that you love us and have given yourself for us. The greatness and the, and the grandeur of, of you. You became small. You, you became one of us. Took on flesh and bone. Died for us. Invite us into a restorative and renewal relationship where we get to partner with you and bring change and, and bring glory to your name. Bring and advance the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. God, we want to be the people that obey you. We want a, a, a refilling. Thank you for the gift of the, of the Spirit at our baptisms and by uh, and when we, the moment we place faith in you. We're praying for a filling that you would send us out, God. And we'd start right where we happen to be. We don't have to go far. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for calling us to faith and for everything you are. Help us to internalize these truths. In your name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you are challenged and encouraged to walk in truth in your everyday. Please share with friends and family, and we can't 